book of Job, chapter 8. Job chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. Job chapter 8. While you're turning there, I think, and you can flip back there into into chapter 1 real quick. I, I think it's important, again, as we continue to go through this, not to retell the whole story where we got where we are here, but it's important as we, again, look at the counsel that Job is getting from his friends. Chapter 1 Verse 8 speaks of Job, and this is the Lord speaking. The Lord speaking tells us in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's God's perspective. That's how God saw Job. Now, understand we said this before. It's not as though Job was sinless. But he was upright. He was desiring to please God in all that he did. We, t- we saw that he offered sacrifices for his children and those types of things. It wasn't as though he thought he, that he had this whole thing figured out, that he was somehow in good standing with God because of his own personal righteousness. That's not the issue. We, we talked to the matter that Satan said, well, of course he's, he's, he's loving you and serving you because you, you bless him in everything. Take his stuff away. Let me at him for a little while and we'll see. He'll curse you to your face. And so God allowed Satan to take his, his possessions, including all 10 of his children killed in one, one, act, one, one move of a, a tornado or a strong wind or whatever that, that Satan brought. 10 of his children killed. White lost everything, and then then he was allowed Satan then to, to touch his body, but not to kill him, and and that's it, so he's he's grieving over that. He doesn't understand this, and he's crying out to God. And as we said last time, he's got some friends that have come and 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 bringing him counsel, trying to bring to. And the idea that they're carrying with them is Job. The reason you're going through this, it must be because there is sin in your life that you understand and you know about. It's a secret thing that and and you're not repenting. You're not turning to God. This is because of what you have done. And, you know, it, deep inside all of us, we, we want to hold on to that, right? That good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. If that would just, everything just worked along those lines, then we would just know. But that's not reality, right? I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's brought up all the time. The big question that it causes everybody to even question God is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things seem to happen to bad people? I mean, what is all of this that is going on? We, we have a desire in us for, for instant and total justice and fairness, for it to just all seem to make sense in the moment. And that's not the way things happen. That's not the way things go. And we saw last time the first, they, these friends came, they, they, were, they were fasting with him, they were quiet with him, they were alongside him. Seven days, they didn't say a word, they're sitting in the garbage dump. Job has these, these boils all over his body, it says they're worms, and it's just the whole, most physically just misery. And they're sitting there with him in the garbage dump. And Job finally breaks the silence as we saw. But then Eliphaz speaks up. And again, it's because of sin in your life. He even made it sound as though your, your children were killed because of this sin in your life. And, you know, we talked of that. And then Job's response. Well, that brings us now chapter 8. And 
it's important, I guess, as we touch base, because uh, our, next, our next friend addresses what Job says at the end of chapter 7. He's again crying out, have I sinned? He's crying out to God, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am burdened to myself? Why then do you not pardon my transgression, take away my iniquity? If there's something I've done, I don't have any idea what it would be. But if it is, would you please forgive me for this so that we can, we can get past this? So that's the setup now as we now have in chapter 8. The next friend, then Bildad the Shuhite answered. Again, he holds the distinction of the shortest man in the Bible there, just for <laughs> shoe. Anyway, verse 2, his response now, how long will you say these things? How long are you going to keep on, how, are you gonna, how long are you going to keep this thing going, Job, that you're, that you're purporting that you don't even know what could possibly be wrong? How long are you going to say these things? Stop denying it and confess it. Let's, let's move forward in this. Look at this. <laughs> and the words of your mouth be a mighty wind. How long are you going to keep blowing hot air, Job? A lot of compassion in that. Notice the question he asks, does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert what is right? Of course not. I mean, of course he doesn't. We, the, Psalm 19.9, the judgments of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. But that's not the issue. Job never said that. Job hasn't been crying out because of that either. And, and the problem with that is, again, this is obviously what they believe. They believe that God always blesses the righteous and always punishes the guilty. And again, in time, immediately, so that you can gauge what is going on. And if the righteous suffer, that must mean, if you're saying that, Job, that God is perverting justice. So that's why he's bringing this to him. If the righteous are suffering, you must, God must not be fair. And that's a dangerous assumption. That's claiming that we know the mind and the ways of God. We've talked of this several times as we move through this, and it'll be a reoccurring thing. Guys, God's ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours. Isaiah tells us as far as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are above our ways. And the problem with that, and when, when somebody like Bildad here is sharing this, because of his conviction that that's true, He's just going to expect that you're just going to receive that as truth. And even talking down to and, and demeaning if you don't receive that. Guys, there is, there is so much that is, that is wrong in that. It, it fits the narrative as he moves along. Look at verse 4. If your son sins, sinned against him, then he delivered them into the power of their transgression. Yikes. Basically, again, here's, here's the comforter coming alongside saying, man, your kids must have been totally living in sin, and God just wiped them out. Counseling 101, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that. It, it fits his narrative, though. Suffering is evidence of punishment. Punishment is evidence of sin. Therefore, your kids must have sinned. Job, you must have sinned, and that's why this is all going on. Guys, it's just, it's so, so dangerous. And it's not, we think of that, and we might think, you know, as Christians, well, we get that. We don't, we don't see that. We know that. Well, I'll tell you, 
I, I heard, a, it, it's, this goes back a couple of years ago, but there's a, 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 a pastor that I know whose daughter died in his arms. She's having an asthma attack, and she died in his arms. And I heard uh, somebody else say that the reason that that daughter died is because he's a pastor, he's up in front of people, and he's got tattoos on, on his arms. And he's, he's saying that out loud publicly, and he's saying, you know, well, that's my conviction, so I'm going to bring that, and I'm going to display that, and I'm going to, wow, wow. We see and we know, and that's why I went back to chapter one and shared this. We know it's not true about Job. This has nothing to do with any known sin in Job's life that he's covering up or sin in his children. It didn't have anything to do with that, and we know that from reading the first couple of chapters. Verse five, again, here he's, he's bringing this, this counsel then. If you would seek God, if you will simply seek God, implore the compassion of the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, surely now he would rouse himself for you and restore your righteous estate. Though your beginning was insignificant, your end will increase greatly. Job, if you'll just simply repent, Finally come clean with all of this. God will hear. God will restore. Even to the point of saying, you, were, you, you had a lot to begin with, but that'll be insignificant compared to what God will do if you will simply humble yourself and repent. Now, it is important because we've, as we go back through this, I mentioned this last time, we're going to see this narrative repeat itself for many, many chapters. And at the end of it, I believe the reason why it keeps coming back around and around and around and around again is by the end of it, I think God wants us to be so sick of this attitude that we would never have it ourselves. But we can't, we can't miss that there is, an, there is a truth that we as Christians are called to intervene, if, if there are things in somebody's life that, that we know of. As a matter of fact, it says in 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, I think I'm at the wrong, no, it is 2 Timothy, yes, yeah, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 16, it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you, chapter four begins, Paul charging Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. We are called to do that. If we know that there is somebody that is sin in their life, if, they're, if they've fallen out of, out of that, we are called to come alongside and, and rebuke, exhort, notice, with great patience and instruction. He says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We are to... Bring the truth to one another. There is, and we talk about this, there is truth in what Bildad is saying. But we're also exhorted in Ephesians chapter four <laughs> to speak the truth in love. I believe it was Warren Wearsby that said truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is fantasy. 
either one without action is hypocrisy. And we are called to speak the truth, yes, in love. A lot of what he speaks of here, and we'll continue on, and we're going to see, there's truth in it. There's some truth. There's some amazing truth in it. But it's got to be brought in love, discernment, wisdom. Verse 8, please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. For we are only of yesterday and, and know nothing because our days on earth are as a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and bring forth words from their minds? He said, not, don't just listen to us. I mean, we're, we've only been around a short while in history time. I mean, look at, look at our forefathers. Look at, look at history past. Look at the things that we know from them. And he's calling on them to, or calling on him to recall, this is what we've always thought. And again, not bad to look at the past and to speak of things, but he's assuming that just because it's been this way for a long time that it's correct and true and all-inclusive. <laughs> it's not necessarily wrong, but it's not complete. I mean, how many, and the, the whole musical tradition, right? How, how off the rails can you get by simply following, well, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we've always thought. This is the way that it's always been. It doesn't matter how old it is or what the source is, it is always inferior to the word of God, always. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, the depth. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. His ways, his thoughts, his words. Can a papyrus grow without a marsh? Can the rushes grow without water? Basically what he's saying with that is where there's smoke, there's fire, Job. Must be sin because you're suffering. While it is still green and not cut down, yet it withers before any other plants. Verse 13, so are the paths of all who forget God and, who, and the hope of the godless will perish. He's You've, forgetting God, godless, now he's calling Job, Job a hypocrite, calling him a liar. You've, this is the way it is, Job, whose confidence is fragile and whose trust a spider web. Now again, there is some truth in this. There's some amazing truth in this part. Dealing with someone who is not, not a believer, not a follower of Jesus, somebody who's come completely off the rails and thinking somehow my righteousness, my goodness, I'll be able to be okay. I'll be all right with God. He, what he's saying there is you put your confidence in that, in your flesh, in what you're doing, that's fragile. It's like a spider web, trying to grab onto, grab onto a spider web to hold you up. Remember when I ruptured my Achilles tendon many years ago, and I had the surgery to have it repaired, and I was had to, the I was staying in our in our guest room across the hall because the bed, our bedroom our bed in our bedroom was too high for me to get in and out of while I, after right after surgery there was a bathroom right across the hallway and I got up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom and I had my crutches right there and I said no you know I'll be all right so I hop across on my left foot and I get over to the bathroom and I'm turning around in the bathroom and I lost my balance and as I'm falling backward I grabbed the towel bar. 
yeah. Came right off in my hand like a spider web, just went flipping back over right into the bathtub. Shower curtain came crashing down. Confidence is awful fragile if it's in a, on a towel bar as you're falling down, trusting in the spider web. Again, that's a truth, but not applicable to Job. He wasn't putting his trust in his own, his own self and in his own doing. Verse 15, he trusts in his house, and it, but it does not stand. He holds fast to it, but it does not endure. He thrives before the sun, and his shoot spreads out over his garden. His roots wrap around a rock pile. He grasps a house of stones. He is removed from his place. Then it will deny him, saying, I never saw you. What he's speaking of here is a, is a, like a, this big, bushy plant, beautiful, grows up and it's sprouting all over, but its roots are just down into the rocks and very easy to just grab a hold of and uproot. There's, there's no depth. It's shallow. It looks good on the outside. It looks good. And he's saying, Job, you, you looked great on the outside, but there was no depth. Pull, remove you from your place, deny, say, I never saw you. Behold, this is the joy of... This is the joy of his way, and out of the dust will, others will spring. This is, God takes pleasure in doing that, Job. If you're, if you're a hypocrite, uprooting and putting somebody else in there. Again, Job never trusted in his own innocence for salvation. That's never been the deal. He never denied his need for mercy and deliverance. We're going to see that when we get into 9 and 10. He was just complaining about the pain he was in and wondering what he did to deserve this. Verse 20, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will, no, will be no longer. Again, calling on him to repent, not to rely on himself. And again, before we move on, again, just again, not applicable to Job, but it is applicable to anyone who is in sin. It is applicable to anyone who has never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior that is relying on their own goodness to somehow earn favor with God, to do more good than bad, to, to get into heaven, to, to get on God's good side. No, we're called to repent. Everyone all of us, every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every one of us has to come to that point of repentance and brokenness before God. And his desire, God's heart, is to forgive. Again, Isaiah, recorded in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You know, we're, we're looking at this story of Job and, and the lessons in that, but guys, we can never lose sight of the, of the reality. Again, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you have never come to that point of brokenness and repentance in your life, or perhaps you are a prodigal that is, has wandered away, Call on the Lord. Seek him while he may be found. He will abundantly pardon. I love that in, in there. Not, not just pardon, abundantly pardon. 
Because you might be here and thinking, yeah, you, but you don't know my past. You don't know what, what I've been involved in. You don't know what I'm involved in right now. You're right, I don't. I don't need to. There's one who you can't fool at all, and that's, that's your creator. He knows. But his heart right now, right now, is to forgive you. His heart right now is to fully and completely pardon you because Jesus paid for it all. He shed his blood to forgive all of your sin. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, the person who sins will die. The wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's what awaits all of us. He does say the son will not bear the punishment of the father's iniquity, nor the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteous of the righteousness, I'm sorry, the righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. We stand, we stand on, our, on our own for our own sin. But verse 21 says this, but if the wicked man turns from all of his sin, turning is repenting, turning away from the path that you're going, turning away from the sin that you're, that you're living in, turning away from that lifestyle and turning to God, turning back to God. Turning from the sins which he has committed and observes all my statutes and practices and justice and, justice and righteousness, he shall surely live, he shall not die. The, the path that you're on leads to nothing but death and destruction. Turn around now, turn to the Lord Jesus and live. All his transgressions, every single one that he has committed will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? That's God's heart, that you would turn today. If you haven't, please do today. Well, again, not the issue with Job. Job facing these accusations now from Bildad, and now he responds. Chapter 9, verse 1, Job answers, In truth, I know that this is so, but how can a man be in the, in the right before God? I understand what you're saying. And in principle, he's saying, I don't disagree with you, but how can I be right before God? And we're going to see as he goes through this an understanding that he gets it. Before a holy and righteous and perfect God? Who's he? He can't stand up there. But he said basically, but the issue is, I don't have anything that I haven't brought to him that's active in, in, to you. He's basically saying, how can I stand before God so that he can, he can vindicate me in front of you? If one wished to dispute with him, if I'm going to argue with God, he could not answer him once in a thousand times. If we're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with God, we could go a thousand rounds and I'm not going to win one. Wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has defied him without harm? It is God who removes the mountains. They know not how. When he overturns them in his anger... Who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars and tremble? Who commands the sun not to shine and sets a, 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 sets a seal upon the stars? Now, he's not asking questions. He's talking about God, the one who does, the one who does. Verse 8, who alone stretches out the heavens? By the way, notice verse 8 says, who alone stretches out the heavens, not what. It wasn't a big bang. Who stretches out the heavens? 
tramples down the waves of the sea, who makes the bear, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chamber of the south, who does great things, unfathomable, and wondrous works without number. Unfathomable. King James, I believe, has past finding out. I, I just, I love, I love all of the, the scientific discoveries of our brilliant scientists these days because it seems like every amazing discovery that they make and they think they get it all figured out, it just opens up a billion more questions. They think they've got it reduced to the smallest thing and then, oh, wait a second, there's a whole nother machine behind all of that. The more we think we got it all figured out, the more we realize we don't even, we can't even touch it. God sits up there and laughs and says, yeah, you haven't even, just, just keep digging. And in spite of the, like, verse 11, in spite of his incredible vastness and how awesome and amazing he is and how, how huge and immeasurable he is, were he to pass by me, I wouldn't even see. Were he, were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. God ever sneak up on you? Were he to snatch away, who could restrain him? Who could say to him, what are you doing? Who could stand in his presence and question God Almighty? And I, I know we, we ask those questions why, and it's okay. We've talked of that before. It's okay to ask God why. Just don't demand an answer because <laughs> he doesn't owe you one. He might, he might reveal things to you as you go through things, yes. Again, in God, in his amazing <laughs> wonder and holiness and awesomeness, God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him crouch the helpers of Rahab. There's several different translations with that as to what that means. I, most agree that he's speaking of their satanic forces, demonic forces. Even they have to cower to him. How then can I answer him and choose my words before him? How can I answer anything before almighty God? You know, it, it amazes me I, to hear the, the audacity that, some, that people have, the defiance that people have. I watched an interview one time. It was actually a question that was posed to several Hollywood elites, and they were asking several different questions. And he poses the question, if there is a God, what would you say to him if you had a chance to see him face to face? And I can't remember right offhand who it was, but I'll never forget the response he had because he just had this, all of a sudden, just this anger in, in his face. And he says, I'd, say, I'd look him right in the eye and I'd say, you got a lot of explaining to do. You have no idea. Yeah. No one, no one can stand before God and, think that they are good enough on any type of level to do anything other than to just fall on their face. The Bible says that there is coming a day where every knee will bow 
and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Now, the only sensible thing is to do that right now. Because the day will come when even those who outright reject him, who all of those that even would have the audacity to say that and think that they would do that will be in his presence. It will fall like a tub of goo on the ground and again, declare he's Lord and King because that's who he is. When we make that declaration, we don't make him Lord and King. We recognize the fact that he is. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It'll be too late for those then. They will be on their way to an eternity facing the wrath of God in hell forever. But he's in this place where he's just, he realizes this. Isaiah chapter 6 gives us, gives us a picture into this too. Isaiah, another godly man. The, the one like Job in his time was head and shoulders above everyone else as far as the fear of God and following after God. And you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, it's like, woe is you, 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 because of the way you are and all of this stuff. Isaiah chapter six says that he sees God, he sees his throne, and he says, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. All of a sudden, he's head and shoulders above the rest in front of the Lord God. We are all... And Job gets that. He is not, again, he is not putting it out there that, man, I, I deserve better than this. He just wants to know why it's happening. For though I were right, I could not answer. I would have to implore mercy of my judge. Again, there it is. He understands. It's all about mercy. The only thing even the best of us can, can do is implore for mercy. Verse 16, if I called and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. Now, I'm going to draw our attention to this a few times over the next few verses with this. But understand again, there was no written word then. Job lived quite probably in the time of Abraham. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books that, that record all of that history were written by Moses many years later. So he didn't have the word of God to go to. And he didn't have the understanding that you and I have. And he didn't have, by the way, the access that we do. Verse 16, if I called and he answered me, if I were to cry out to God and he answered me, I could not believe that he was listening to my voice. I don't know about you, but to me, that's still something that blows me away. That almighty creator God would listen to me when I come to him, when I bring a prayer before him. But Hebrews chapter four, beginning verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, because he, the perfect one, lived the perfect sinless life, died in our place. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Not only 
do we have access? Not only does he listen, but we are called to come boldly, confidently to the throne of grace. We don't have to take a number. We don't, we don't have to be on hold. <laughs> we have access to the throne of grace always. And he, he desires for us to come. Now we see, as we continue looking, we see a lot of things again that Job is making assumptions and many of them are false as he's moving through this and he's trying to process this and he's trying to reconcile all of this. For he bruises me with, with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not allow me to get my breath. I can't even breathe, but saturates me with bitterness. If it is a matter of power, behold, he's the strong one. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? If it truly is justice, who am I to bring a complaint against him in that? Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. Again, compared to the holy, perfect God. But, he's, but notice this, I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself as far as I know. I don't have anything that is ongoing, that is unconfessed, that is, that is an issue in my life. And then he says, I despise my life. It is all one, therefore, I say. And here we go. He destroys the guiltless and the wicked. If the scourge kills suddenly, he mocks the despair of the innocent. That's not true. But that's what he's feeling. The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it's not he, then who is it? He's got this, this thought, this, this feeling as he continues to go through it. Again, his friends aren't any help, but that God is distant, that God is uncaring. And again, he, he doesn't have the word of God. And bottom line, when it comes to dealing with the suffering and dealing with the pain and dealing with all of this stuff, guys, you and I are on a need-to-know basis. And all we need to know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among the many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Guys, when it comes right down to it, that's all we really need to know. But remember, Job didn't have that. Job didn't have Romans 8.28. <laughs> he didn't understand that God was working. God didn't leave him alone. God didn't, wasn't uncaring or distant. We read in, in Romans and, and elsewhere, obviously, throughout the word of God, that God does everything toward us out of a heart of love. Even discipline, 
even if it is because of sin in our life and God is disciplining us, Romans, or Hebrews 12 tells us that that is as his father disciplines his child. Again, out of love. We see as he continues, verse 25, again, his heart pouring out here. Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They slip by like reed boats, like an eagle that swoops on its prey. Though I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my sad countenance and be cheerful. He was saying, even if I went to a, a think positive seminar, just, you know, speak over it. Even if I went to that, I'd come at the end of it and realize that's not going to do it. I'm, I'm afraid of all my pains. I know that you will not acquit me. I am accounted wicked. Why then should I toil in vain? If I should wash myself with snow and cleanse my hand with lye, yet you would purge me into the pit and my own clothes would abhor me. Again, he, the, the hopelessness that he has. The situation, he feels it's totally hopeless. Verse 32, these next few verses. And again, how it is so different for us. Notice verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that I may go to court, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Now, don't be confused. This isn't, not, not a baseball umpire here. A few years before that, word there meaning mediator, one to mediate between two parties. And he's saying, what, this, this can't work because he's not a man like I am. How, how could this possibly work? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us how it works for us. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, since you and I, like Job, are, are, are man, and facing the same situation, how can we, how can we go, how can we, Deal with God. We're, we're men. He's not. Since we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. How does God deal with the problem? <laughs> he puts on skin. He becomes one of us. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives so that we could be free. So that we don't have to be like Job in that situation, thinking that this is totally helpless. This, we have no hope. We have hope because God became one of us. For assuredly, he does not give help to the angels, but gives help to the, help to the descendants of Abraham. That's us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. It's the only way it would, it would work. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Notice, a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God. He didn't just come and, and, and become one of us and go against God. No, again, he, he is God. 
He came in a mediator. In order to be an, a mediator, you have to fully, completely represent both sides. You can't be partial to one or the other. To make propitiation, take the full payment. He paid the full penalty for us. Since he was tempted in that which he, he was suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Fully became one of us. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Again, he says there's no umpire between us. Paul writing to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 go perfectly with Job 9, 32 and 33, because guys, without that, we're in the same situation as Job. We don't have an umpire, a mediator. John tells us that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. He's our umpire. He's the one who stands and took this for us. Again, this beautiful truth. Again, you gotta, you gotta empathize with Job. When we're going through the trials and difficulties that we go through, we have the mediator. We understand this. He did not. Verse 34, let him remove his rod from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him, but I would, but I am not like that in myself. I, I would be in that situation. If I had this, I'd be able to speak to him. I'd be able to, you know, be on that level, but I'm not. I'm not like that in myself. And we're still not. And I, again, going through Romans has been just such a blessing for me. But back again in Romans chapter 8, in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. As Christ, the Holy Spirit residing in us, helping us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Job is saying, I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know. We still don't. <laughs> I'd love to tell you, we got it all that we don't. When we don't know how to pray as we should. Because again, we're so often saying, God, how do I get out of this? Instead of, Lord, what do I get out of this? I'm here for a reason. You don't do anything without a purpose. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the, what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So much of our prayer, aren't you? Anybody else praise God for unanswered prayers? <laughs> so many of those things that you pray for that later on you realize, oh, thank you, Lord, for saying no to that. There's a lot of those prayers, I'm sure, that Job said that at the end. Thank you for not killing me when I asked you all those times to do it. <laughs> but praying according to the will of God, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, knowing the will of God for us, why we're going through what it is we're going through. Even though we may never know why, the Holy Spirit in us knows why, because he's God, interceding on our behalf according to the perfect will of God for us. Chapter 10, seatbelt time again. 
And as we go through this, just understand, Job is, is having a hard time reconciling the God he knew to be perfect and righteous with the God that he felt was being unfair. But notice again, he never forsakes God. He's questioning, he's going through all of this. I loathe my own life, verse one. I will give full vent to my complaint. Here it comes. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend with me. Is it right for you indeed to oppress, to reject the labor of your hands, and for you to look favorably on the schemes of the wicked? Does that make any sense for you to look favorably on, on the wicked schemes of people? Have you eyes of flesh, or do you see as a man sees? Of course you don't. Are your days as the day of a mortal, or your years as a man's years? Of course not. You're the beginning and the end. You're the alpha and the omega. That you seek for my guilt and search after my sin? According to your knowledge, I am indeed not guilty, yet there is no deliverance from your hand. Your hands fashioned and made me altogether. And would you destroy me? You're the one who made me. Remember now that you have made me as clay, and you would turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and, and curdle me like cheese? What are you saying? Did, you formed me. You, like, like the psalmist says, you formed my inward parts. You, you're the one who brought me together. Verse 11, you clothe me with, with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. I love that. Again, you clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. So am I skin and flesh? Am I bones and sinews? No. That's just the earth, the earth suit I have on. God, they're, they're, he, he created me, and then he put this around me. I'm glad this isn't what I got forever. This one hurts. Wearing out. Have you granted me life and loving kindness, and your care has preserved my spirit? Yet these things you have, con you have concealed in your heart. I know that this is written within you. If I sin, then you would take note of me. And would not acquit me of my guilt. If I am wicked, woe to me. If I am righteous, I dare not lift my head. Again, even my righteousness, understanding that truth, my, even my righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy and perfect God. I'm sated with disgrace and conscious of my misery. Should, I lift my, should my head be lifted up? You would hurt me like a lion. And again, you would show your power against me. Again, he's just this hopelessness that he's feeling. You renew your witness against me. It's like even if I brought something good, you'd renew, you'd renew it. You'd come against me and increase your anger toward me. Hardship after hardship is with me. Why then have you brought me out of the womb? Would that I had died and no eye had seen me. It would be better if I'd have been, if I'd never been born, and if I'd been born, that I'd been stillborn. I should have been as though I had been not carried from womb to the tomb. Would he not let my few days alone withdraw from me that I may have a little cheer? Before I go, and I shall not return to the land of the darkness of, and deep sorrow, to the land of utter gloom as darkness itself, of deep sorrow without order, 
and which shines as the darkness. Even when it's shining, it's dark. He's saying, just anything but this. Just get me, and again, that, just kill me, Lord. End, end my suffering. And again, I, there's that, that part of me is like, okay. And it, you know, it's like you feel like you're one of the friends and are you thinking like, are you about done? You know, I, uh, I got something to say and Zophar is, is, is warming up. He's gonna come after him next. But again, guys, remember all that he's been through, everything that he's facing, and he doesn't have what you and I have. He doesn't have the, the revelation that God has revealed to us. He, we can skip to the end and, and read chapters 40, 41, 42. We can get there. He's in the middle of it. And again, I, just, I say that again to, any, to encourage anyone who's in the middle, in the middle of it. Understand he knows the end. The, the author and perfecter of your faith knows the end. He will carry you through. He will walk you through all of it. And the promise is a glorious end if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, if you're here and you're not, the end is disastrous and it's eternal. So I would invite you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repent. Invite him into your life today. Invite him into your heart. Confess your sin. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wipe your slate clean. He wants to remove your sin as far as the east is from the west because he paid for it already. He already took it upon himself, but you have to receive the free gift. If you've wandered away, come back today. He will abundantly pardon. But as, as believers, know again that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ and everything that God is doing in our lives that he's allowing to go through, he'll walk us through it. But that is the purpose, is to conform us into the image of our risen Lord and King. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the truth of, of your word. But I thank you that you have blessed us to live in this time on this side of the cross where we have your written word. Not only written that we hold in our hands, but Lord, written in our hearts. We know it is true. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in us, interceding for us when we don't, when we don't know how to pray. Lord, teach us to trust you in the midst of of the darkest of times. And Lord, my prayer tonight is for anyone who's in the middle of one of those times. Lord, would you, would you reassure them this evening with the hope that the eternity is certain and that this momentary, temporary light affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits. You're here tonight again. You don't know Jesus. Repent right now. Just come. Ask him into your heart. Ask him into your life. Ask him to forgive your sin. Follow after him. Repent. That means to turn. Turn from, turn from your sin. Turn to follow him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving us that opportunity. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.